1: Welcome to the New Books Network.
0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Academic Life, a podcast channel here on New Books Network. I'm your host, Dr. Christina Gessler, and today we're joined by reporter Francie Deep, who's going to share with us about the ranking systems of the universities and why some schools
1: are withdrawing from that. Welcome to the show, Francie. Francie. Okay, great, hi, yes, I'm Francie. I'm a reporter at the Chronicle of Higher Education. I started here about uh, three years ago. Previously, I was a magazine called Pacific Standard where I covered science and health. Like a lot of uh, magazines, Pacific Standard totally closed down in 2019, the whole staff was laid off. That's why I uh, had to go get a new job. Very happy I landed at the Chronicle. It's a great newsroom, really smart people, and they really give you the time to do the stories that you wanna do and and, and do all the reporting you wanna do. So that's been really great, but it was sort of a funny way that I got here. But yeah, at the Chronicle, I cover um, prestige, money, rankings, um, and that's how I I covered the topic I think that uh, I'm here for. What
0: drew you to that topic of prestige and rankings
1: and money? Well, you know, part of it was it was in the job description. <laughs> they wanted a follow the money reporter. That said if you're a reporter, like this is a great topic. Like you want as a reporter, you want to like dig things up, you want you want to follow the money. Like I, it's it's sort of baked into the profession, I think. So it was a very exciting um, yeah, it was just a really exciting topic to think about when I when I saw the job description. Um Yeah, I think that's it. And you know, as a science and health reporter before, I was sort of familiar with the academic life. I talked to a lot of scientists and through that you get a sense of at least what it's like to like try to get a PhD in in a STEM field. So I was a little bit familiar already with academia and then I got to add in all this like fun investigative stuff to it and it just was just was too cool. And your own grad school training prepared you to be a reporter? Yes, that's true. Although I always say that um, you don't have to get a graduate degree to go into journalism. It's definitely not required. Um, I think, you know, even in hiring, it's not necessarily something that um, that employers look for. It's really about your skills. I did love my program, though. I went to NYU's uh, science reporting program they have a special like master's just for that specialization and and yeah i went because i i hadn't thought about being a reporter before and i felt like i knew very little about journalism and like how to be a journalist and i was kind of kind of a weenie honestly <laughs> i was afraid of getting thrown in a newsroom and like having to figure it out on the job and that's and you know in in academia it's kind of a safer space to to do your first stories. And so that's why I did the master's. But um, yeah, I mean, I I say that I always try to say that you don't have to do the master's because it can be quite expensive and journalism just doesn't pay well. So you really got to think about like, if it's going to pay off for you. Was your undergraduate work in writing or in science? It was in English. Um, My parents were quite worried about that, so they wanted me to do a bunch of science classes, which I did, and I really, I did enjoy them a lot. And so, right, I had, the degree was in English, I did a lot of reading and writing in undergrad, and then after I graduated, I, the jobs that I got actually were in, in labs at UCLA, which is where I did my undergrad, so I ended up using my science background a little bit to be a TA, basically, for Um, a couple different labs before I went on to journalism school.
0: And so that brings us to today where you are an education reporter and you've been studying what's going on with the rankings. And people have sort of, I would say, a love-hate relationship with the whole concept of rankings. So Can you explain to listeners, particularly listeners in other parts of the world, what the ranking system is? And then we'll dive into why some schools are leaving it. Yes, of course.
1: So the main ranking that has the biggest influence in the United States is U.S. News and World Reports college rankings. U.S. News is a news magazine. They do great reporting on all different topics, but part of their publication is um, this ranking of colleges and they've been doing it for more than 30 years. There's a sort of team of people that specifically like these data people who come Mm -hmm. up with the algorithm that sort of decides a college's rank and they solicit data from all the bachelors conferring colleges across the country um so they get that data in from the colleges and then they also go and seek out publicly available data data about all these colleges and they put in their algorithm and their algorithm comes up with like a score for the college um i think it's out of uh, maybe i shouldn't say but like i think it's out of a hundred but i'm not totally sure but anyway it's a score and then they give this huge list of hundreds of colleges um they create this huge list of 100 colleges based on scores. So like the number one ranked college has the highest score um, and it goes on down. There's at some point at which they stop ranking. Like if you're in like the bottom quarter, I think of the colleges, you don't get a rank. I guess it seems kind of rude to be like, you are number 523. So they don't do after some point they stop. But um, yeah, so that's, that's how the rankings work. They can be, uh, you know, depending on the family, quite influential in uh, the decision, a a student's decision which college to go to, but it really depends on the student and the family. Some students, most students in the U.S. go to community colleges or regional publics where, you know, they don't really think about the rankings when they decide where to go. It's a matter of what's around them, what's affordable to them. Um, So that actually I think is probably the majority of people in the U.S. who get degrees. And then there's another sort of group of students where they looked at the rankings to some extent. Some people care about a lot, some people care about a little bit, but basically, um, you know, to some extent families look at this list and sort of decide, using information from this list, where to apply, and where to go to college.
0: And the way that they come up with these metrics has been the subject of a lot of questioning um, and how representative the sample uh, data they use really is. Do you want to talk a bit about why there's pushback against the metrics?
1: You know, you dropped out a little bit. Do you want to ask the question again, or my understanding of the question was that you're asking, um, what what the pushback is, why there's pushback against the U.S. news algorithm?
0: Yeah, that it's. I think there's been pushback for a while, or at least questioning of um, how much weight should we give this this report that comes out every year. Um, but there's been some definite inquiry over the last years. Yeah, for sure.
1: So. There are a lot of different um, arguments people have against the rankings, but I'll try to like, I'll try to talk about a few of them. One of them is that, you know, um, the rankings, if you think about it, like what makes a college good, right? You could sort of answer that question in a lot of different ways. You could answer it in terms of like, their students are, have really high test scores and... Um, are really smart in a certain way and, and will provide a certain kind of, like, academic atmosphere in the classrooms. You can do it as, like, this college It does a really good job at, like, taking in students and, like, giving them new skills and other things that they need to climb the ladder, sort of move up in socioeconomic status after they graduate. You could say a college is good because... It has a lot of faculty members that are really well-known in their fields and have like Nobel Prizes and things. A lot of ways to answer good. Obviously, if you have one single algorithm, then that is that algorithm is the way that that magazine answers good. So um, this, I'm sorry. This I don't know if I'm going to explain this in a kind of a complicated, overcomplicated way. But basically, one of the main criticisms of the ranking is that you're outsourcing what good is to the editors to work on the U.S. News ranking. You know, whatever they think is important, um, whatever they think makes for a better college is sort of what decides the numerical rankings on the list. So, but what if you, as a student, that's not what you need or want or are looking for, you know, the number one college on this list is not going to be the best fit for every college student out there or even most college students out there. So that's like one big criticism of it. Um, Another big criticism is that because of the things that the algorithm tends to reward, including institutional wealth, because, um, you know, the amount of money spent per student is a part of the ranking. Uh, It's a little bit less so now, but previously the rankings also really rewarded colleges that were really selective, meaning that they got a lot of applications, but they would reject a lot of them. Um, Those kind of things, you know, right. So the the algorithm rewards those kinds of things. But if you're a school sort of in the middle of the list and you want to climb the list, and you want to get a higher ranking because that'll help you um, uh, attract more students to your campus. What you may be tempted to do is spend more money or be more selective, reject more students or like encourage more students to apply, even though, you know, you're going to reject them. These are examples of like, bad incentives, things that could potentially harm, you know, the experience of the students that are already there. If you're spending a lot more money, maybe your tuition will go up. Um, so basically another big argument against the rankings is that they have these sort of reverse incentives that they, right, push institutions to do bad things when they want to move up the list. Um, other major um Criticisms of this include that it's it can the list can be pretty tough on minority serving institutions and HBCUs often those don't fare as well on the particular particular metrics that the US news editors have chosen. Um, Yeah, so it's it's the criticisms are around it being bad for students, it being incentivizing institutions to do bad things and um, prioritizing wealth and unfairly, unfairly ranking lower minority serving institutions.
0: Well, I'm glad that you complicated it, (laughs) um, because data isn't neutral, and we can look at those numbers and think, oh, this is very clear. Yes,
1: yeah, yeah. And it's not very clear.
0: Other things that come into play are alumni giving and the size of the endowment, Mm -hmm. both of which have nothing to do with students on campus.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I think U.S. News would argue that the alumni giving is a sign of satisfaction with your college. And so, you know, um, absent a way of sort of tracking people over time and asking them, hey, like... Do you think going to your university was great for you? You know, giving is one way to measure that. But yeah, for sure, you know, like you can imagine a local public perhaps has tens of thousands of satisfied alumni just aren't the kind of people, for whatever reason, don't give to their college in the same way that like the IVs get their alumni to donate, right? Right.
0: One of the things the rankings have been criticized for is how they devalue public service. And I'm thinking if you're a teacher, if you're contingent faculty, if you're a public defender, giving money to your former school is not the top of your priority list. So you may be a very satisfied alum, but you may be devoting your life to public service, to grassroots organizing, to passion projects, or to... um, Justice projects and giving money back to a school you're no longer attending isn't really top of your radar.
1: Yeah, for sure, that's a great um, that's a great point. And then as for the size of the endowment being in the ranking algorithm, again, you know, I think the editors would probably argue that having more money spent on you as a student makes for a better experience, which is true, you know. But again, it sort of depends on the student the limit at which having a lot of money spent on them improves their experience versus creates debt for them that is not going to be helpful later in life.
0: And the endowment is a complicated animal to, to figure out as well, because it's not necessarily money spent directly on students, but it may be spent on campus improvements. It may be spent on endowing chairs for famous people to come work there. It may be things that don't directly influence whether or not a student has food instability or housing
1: instability. Yeah, this kind of actually gets at another kind of inside baseball criticism of the rankings, which is that you know, you can calculate okay, so as I said before, the colleges turn in a bunch of data to US News. So part of what US News uses is is data that is self-reported by the colleges. And in that self-reporting, you can sort of calculate things like spending on students in different ways. Um, And obviously, because colleges get some benefits from moving up in the rankings, they are incentivized to calculate things in a way that's good for them, to make the spending look higher. Um, But, you know, you can debate whether, like, does X spending count as improving the academic experience or not. Um, So yeah, there's, it's the criticisms. I think the sort of high level most important criticisms are about like, whether this is good for students and good for society, but like, you know, maybe a number two level kind of criticism is like how comparable even are the metrics that are that different, colleges send in that are used to compare them with each other by the by u.s news um how accurate are these data that the editors are getting it, it does
0: seem that way that a school that has a smaller endowment but spends more on making sure the students are well cared for while they are students meaning they are securely housed they are fed there is uh, resource available if you need a laptop, if you need a winter coat. Um, and they prioritize the person in front of them and their endowment spending goes on that. And maybe their football stadium is a bit out of date.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's, there's, yeah. Um,
0: when you do your reporting on the rankings and you've been looking at recently a number of law schools who are no longer wanting to send in the data and participate in the ranking system. Um, You came up with some interesting answers about what's going on there. Do you want to share that
1: with listeners? Oh, I don't remember coming up with answers I mean the law schools had the deans of these law schools that have decided not to cooperate with US news anymore they all put out statements about why why not um, you know the states are a little bit different but it, they had a few common themes one of them was complaints about the US news law school algorithm um, devaluing uh, students who are interested in public service and that's like kind of complicated way of getting there. But basically, a lot of schools, I guess, offer fellowships for students interested in public service. However, US News um, sort of gives more weight to students who get jobs and fellowships that are paid not by their own school. Um, I would guess that that has something to do with like, they don't want schools to like give out fellowships to kind of inflate that score. Um, But Right. But if if you're in school scholarships or for public interest careers, then that becomes a problem. So there's that was a big thing that the law schools complain about. And then the other big thing they complained about was the weight given to LSAT scores, which, um, you know, we know from the research that standardized test scores tend to be really correlated with family income. Um, And so the schools were complaining that with emphasis on LSAT scores, it disincentivizes them from allowing from letting in students who may have slightly lower scores because they don't have the means to pay for expensive lsap prep but are smart and um, promising students in other ways uh so yeah those are those are the reasons that the law schools gave for leaving these rankings um you know other people have speculated other things i can't say without knowing the minds and hearts of law school administrators, I can't say if these are true or not, but like there was an essay, I think in the, the new, the new Republic about like, maybe this is has to do with um, our, we anticipate the end of affirmative action. Right. And so um, schools perhaps will need new tools to try to build diverse classes if that's what they want. And it could be that some schools are afraid that in doing that they'll Kind of, they'll do things that will impact their data that will make them lower in the rankings. And so, perhaps in anticipation of that, they just wanted to leave the rankings altogether. Um, yeah, and and then I guess I should say another reason many law school deans gave for leaving was. Um, In their view, they had brought a lot of their concerns repeatedly to U.S. News, and the editors had not responded. Um, You know, U.S. News disputes this. When
0: the law schools left, their undergraduate institution there did not.
1: That's right. Yes. Yes, it's very interesting. Yeah, it's interesting because a lot of the uh, complaints that people have about the law school algorithms could apply to undergrad ones as well. Um, Obviously, there are differences between the two algorithms. The undergrad one does kind of like do a little bit more to try to uh, take into account social mobility, that kind of thing, and depends less on reputation than the law school ranking does, um, but both do have really large reputation components. But yeah, so, you know, if you have, if you, if your law school dean is saying U.S. News law school rankings hurts our ability to let in underserved students, let in low-income students, support students who are interested in public interest careers, it's funny as an institution that your law school dean would be saying that, but then, like, the rest of the institution is like, well, but the undergrad rankings are fine. I mean, you know how colleges work, they actually are pretty separated. And so I think from the inside, if you know higher ed, perhaps it's not too surprising that it's turned out that way. But um, it does feel like it, there's not like sort of a moral consistency there. Some
0: arguably prestigious law schools have now pulled out of this ranking system. Ones who are more mid-ranked, may have different considerations about leaving the ranking system. Can you talk a little bit about some of the surprising reasons that someone might need to stay?
1: Yeah, for sure. So, um, you know, the top law schools, you kind of know who they are, right? Like, we have a societal understanding, a common belief about what the most prestigious universities are. And so in many ways, those schools' reputations are bigger and older than U.S. News. And so if they decide they're not going to cooperate with U.S. News anymore, how much does it really affect their reputation? Probably not a lot. And people will still sort of know in their heads somewhere that they're like really prestigious. For a law school lower on the list, they may not have the same brand awareness among American families, um, and they depend more on the list to get their name out there, to make students aware of them, Um, and so, yeah, they have a lot of reasons to stay, Um, and you you could argue, too, that is actually perhaps even helpful to many law students, like, how many law students go to the top 15 law schools? In U.S. news, like not a lot, right? Like most, the average student is going to end up somewhere else, and so um, maybe they'll look at this list and and learn about a law school that they hadn't heard of before um, through through the ranking.
0: And it's true that schools will take out billboards. Uh, to promote their ranking, they will put the little badge icon that US News um, creates for the rankings on their school webpage. They will let alumni know. Um, for schools to step out of this prestige system, in a lot of ways, indicates how much prestige they really have. That They don't need this.
1: Yes, exactly. I totally agree. And I think that's clearly why the large majority of schools we've seen not cooperate, have been at the top. That said, a few a few mid-list schools have also left. Um, so, I mean, I didn't know this before I started reporting on this, but apparently the top 14 is like the thing in in law school. I don't know why it's not 15, 14 seems like really arbitrary, but anyway. <laughs> so, ooh, apparently when you talk about law schools, the top 14 is like the, the most elite and then, Everyone else is considered more midlist. So 15 and below schools that have left include UCLA, University of California, Davis, University of California, Irvine. Um, those schools take bigger risks when they don't cooperate with U.S. News. Um, again, I don't have insight into the hearts and minds of law school deans, but I think you could argue that it is a bigger stand for your principals if as a mid-list school you leave I should um, I should also clarify that these schools aren't leaving the list exactly. What they're doing is they're refusing to send in data to U.S. News. However, U.S. News has said that they will continue to rank these law schools anyway using publicly available data. Um, we've seen in the past usually what happens when a school stops sending in data that... Right, U.S. News does continue to rank them, and they typically get a lower rank than they would otherwise. Um, for whatever reason, when U.S. News calculates ranks without school cooperation, it tends to be a slightly lower rank than if they then if the schools cooperate.
0: I was surprised to learn that from the articles. I thought if you wanted to leave the ranking system, you could leave um, <laughs> nope. instead of continue to be in a rating system that you're refusing to participate in it is there something the schools who are refusing to participate can do to say we can't use our name at all
1: no i think it's a um we can debate whether the lists are journalism but the us news folks consider themselves journalists and in journalism you know like i can you can write about the thing, you can write about things in the world that are there that you can find publicly available, um, and people cannot prevent you from doing that. There are a lot of good reasons for that, right? Like, if you have wrongdoing on politicians, if they don't cooperate with the story, you can still do the story. Um, I think, sort of using the same principles, if a publication wants to rank schools, they can rank those schools and name those schools in the rankings, whether or not the schools want them to.
0: to. To follow up on that, so in many of those cases, however, there would be a notice in the publication itself that said, you know, we reached out to the president and he, his office provided no comment by the time of publication, or uh, their response was no comment, or they declined to provide any data for our reporting. Would there be a ethically, a correlation here to say these schools decline to participate in supplying data.
1: Yeah, that's a great point. I do not know whether they will flag those schools or not. Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, and I did have in one of my stories, I talked to someone who's just been like sort of an observer of the rankings for a long time and a critic of them. And his opinion was that, you know, if, if what the law schools that are not cooperating want to do is to like really drive home this conversation about the flaws of the rankings and the ways that they could potentially harm students and, and society that they need to every year say, we did not cooperate with this because they are going to appear in the list. And perhaps there might be no way to know from the list that they didn't cooperate. So the schools themselves can put out press releases, social media posts, whatever they want be like, hey, just to remind you, we are not cooperating with this and we don't agree with it for X, Y, and Z reasons.
0: One of the people you quote in your piece is Professor Michael Sauter, who is the co-author of a book, Engines of Anxiety, Academic Rankings, Reputation, and Accountability. And he says that he's skeptical uh, that this is the end of U.S. news, Um, but he thinks it's a great first step to get people to question what this is and how they view educational quality. Should we be skeptical that this is the end of U.S. news? At least their
1: rankings. We don't wish ill to
0: the publication.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think so. I mean, they're very popular. The Rankings are popular. Um, I think societally, like Americans, we like rankings. We like winners. We like championships. So like, this is a thing, and also a lot of other rankings exist, so even if somehow the U.S. News rankings closed tomorrow, there would still be a whole bunch of other publications that do something like this. Um, and right, again, as we've said, uh, U.S. News does not necessarily need the cooperation of colleges to do their rankings. Um, so even if a whole bunch of other colleges stop cooperating Technically speaking, they could still do the rankings, although perhaps they wouldn't, you know, perhaps they would try to make changes or meet colleges halfway. Um, Yeah, I think I would agree that there's a lot more to the rankings and why they persist than colleges' cooperation. Um, But that said, I think as, as... you know i started covering rankings like i i don't know like a year a couple years ago one thing that surprised me while i was doing this reporting is i so i when i started the reporting the first thing i heard were all these criticisms of the rankings right it took me some time to realize how much nevertheless colleges do cooperate that this is a two way relationship it's love-hate, like you said, but colleges get benefits from the rankings. They get marketing benefits from it. And yeah, it's not like U.S. News is is doing this all on their own, like forcing themselves into academia in a way. Like there is... Academia is participating as well, for sure, you know? There is a,
0: a level of... Prestige and status that is associated with academia and with certain institutions more so than others. Um, when you were a student, um, did the rankings affect you or your family?
1: You know, I this is going to sound crazy. I didn't know they existed. Um, I so my parents are Vietnam War refugees. They came to the U.S. in the '80s. Um, they did go to college in Vietnam. And, and then when they came to the U.S., you know, those, those degrees were not accepted anywhere. So my dad, I think, went to technical college and then um, spent his career working in, uh, the, in different factories. And then my mom went, did go back and got a different bachelor's degree at the University of Washington. We lived in the Seattle area. Um so I'm not, you know, I'm not a first-generation college student by any stretch. My parents had experience with higher ed in their country of birth and in the U.S. Um, but I was not, I don't know, like, I, I don't know how typical my experience was, but I was not super aware of, like, a lot of colleges. I would have never guessed there are hundreds of colleges across the U.S. You know, I thought maybe there were, like, 20. <laughs> um, there are a I hadn't ever heard of. Um I mean, honestly, I didn't really know how to pick a college. I picked one that I had kind of heard of the name before, and yeah, didn't didn't even know the rankings existed. I don't remember like when I learned they existed either, but at some point, it they entered my consciousness.
0: Your parents firsthand experienced degree prejudice. Is that part of why they were worried about an English degree? They were worried will will this be accepted here as a degree that will really help you? Will you end up having to go back to school? Were, were some of their lived experiences and looking at how U.S. society looked at their original degrees, was that influencing
1: their worries for you? I think it was more like like a lot of immigrant parents, you know, they they didn't see the clear career path from an English degree, which is not understandable. It's not is not a super clear path. You have to sort of be creative and you have to know the culture to understand how to like make a living out of that. And they couldn't see it. They didn't have the cultural understanding to know what to do with that. I mean, I totally sympathize why they were really nervous. Um, but yeah, I think that's more it than than their experience of having their Vietnamese degrees not accepted. It was just like, you know, my mom went back to school for engineering. You know what you do with an engineering degree. You know what you do with a biology degree. Um, The humanities were just a little fuzzier for them, understandably. So you were going to school
0: in the uh, age of the push for STEM, it sounds like. Um, And the idea that humanities may be a less marketable or lucrative degree when you're done.
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess so. I didn't, I w- at the time I went to college, I was not super aware of like what the national conversation was about humanities or anything. Um, but yeah, I guess that's that's been the conversation for the last like 15 years of school. So, right.
0: When you interviewed um, Professor Slaughter and, and he said that one of the things he hoped was when people were questioning what the rankings do, they would start thinking about how they view educational quality. What did you think he meant by that, educational quality?
1: Yeah, I think it has to do with what we as a society consider good, what we want to, like, sort of give gold stars to colleges for doing. You know, I think for a long time it was was for graduating high-achieving people that go on to become Supreme Court justices and, like, have big names and politicians and they're like well-known, that kind of thing. Um, and for, also for, you know, gathering classes of students with really high test scores. I think there was culturally a pretty, you know, I'm overgeneralizing, but there was sort of a cultural understanding like this is, this is a good college. I think the conversation has become a little more sophisticated since then. You know, I think people think and talk more about like, well, don't we want maybe our colleges to help people move up this, the the socioeconomic ladder, have a better life than their parents did, have more opportunities than their parents did. Um, don't we want colleges that like, yeah, produce more equity in society. Um, And yeah, I mean, different institutions do different things. They are good in different ways. Um, I think what this quote gets at is like widening our understanding of what is good and also even naming what we mean when we say good, right? Like I think ask someone just like a random parent of a college-age kid 20 years ago to name the best colleges and they could do it and they may not even think really consciously about what they mean by best. The conversation about educational
0: quality seems to loop back to what you said early on in the conversation about why you chose NYU. There was a specific track you could do there uh, in your master's degree to, to learn the craft of uh, that education science writing and reporting. Um, that other schools may not offer. So while NYU is regarded as a prestigious school, they specifically could provide what you needed. And that seems to speak to educational quality and fit for the student.
1: Yeah, for sure. And this is, um, I I got to interview the, the CEO of U.S. News as part of my reporting. And this is actually something that came up in our conversation. Um, you know, he mentioned that I he said, well, you got your your master's degree at a well-regarded school, I did not look at rankings at all when I chose my master's. I, you know, I think if I understand if other people do, there could be other reasons for for doing that. But my primary concern when going to journalism school was that I was going to get a job out of it. And so what I did was I sort of like looked up um, the jobs that people had, like one in one or two years like out of grad school for all the programs I got into and and why you seem like the highest percentage of graduates got cool jobs and that's how I chose it like I didn't I didn't think about the ranking or the prestige at all um, yeah I I cared a lot about outcomes but different students are different um, so the rankings didn't work for me because I care about outcomes but you know, other, other students may have different needs or desires out of uh, their grad school experience.
0: What were some of the misconceptions that you uncovered about the rankings as you were looking into this subject?
1: Oh, I don't know if they're misconceptions because I write for a higher ed audience. You know, the people I talk to are pretty savvy already about the rankings, um, Yeah, yeah, I will say, you know, maybe the higher ed perspective and rankings does not think as much about students as much. And I mean that in like, understandably, when higher ed people talk about the rankings, they talk about how it's bad for their institutions. Um, There's a little bit less of a focus on like, what good and bad things it does for students Um, and I can definitely see it harming, harming students, getting them to focus on this list versus what the things, um, you know, whatever it is that they actually personally need from college, whether it's affordability or outcomes or maybe some other things that are not well measured by by the US news algorithm. But I mean, yeah. On the other hand, there are, I think, a lot of students like me who don't care all that much about rankings. And so, like, their existence and what they do one way or another does not actually affect (laughs) affect students that much. Um, And we actually have data on this, on sort of how many students consider rankings when they choose to go to college. UCLA does a, like, freshman survey every year. Um, They have all this data going back very many years on first-year college students. And um, it's a, I don't remember, I don't want to say an exact number, but it's definitely a minority of students that will say that rankings had a large impact on where they chose to go to college. Um, Yeah. Were there any uh, data about if they asked the parents the same question at any of the schools? That's a great question. No, the this survey is only only students, um, and it also also it's a larger the students who go to private nonprofit colleges a larger percentage of them use the rankings, um, so you know you can kind of slice and dice it. There are, there are populations of students where this matters, but if you look at U.S. college students overall, definitely a minority of them actually even care about the rankings. Um, yeah. Um, in the few minutes we have left, I'd like to ask you, what do you hope
0: this episode sparks for listeners?
1: Ooh, a good question. Um, I hope. I hope it helps people think in more sophisticated ways about the rankings, including if they hold the kind of. Common higher ed perspective that they are bad. <laughs> They're definitely bad in many ways, um, but there are a lot of reasons that schools stay in them, benefits that schools get out of them, and you know, I think we we can be more sophisticated too in thinking about what students and families actually look at the rankings, how much it even matters to them, um, and. Yeah, how much evil do they really do if a lot of students are not using them or using them primarily to make their choices.
0: What gives you hope when you do your research on higher ed and you do your reporting? What gives you hope in in your work?
1: Oh, well, I mean, it's not exactly a hopeless topic or anything. It's it's like a thing that's there that that is a force in higher ed. Um you know, I guess, you know, it's it's not like cover it. I I used to cover, I covered the opioid epidemic for a long time. It's not like that where, like, I need hope. That said, I guess one of the most helpful things I have found while reporting, the Columbia Spectator, the student paper of Columbia University, which has had its own rankings problems over the last uh, several months, the Spectator did a, a story recently where... The reporters asked students, um, what do you think about all the problems Columbia's had with rankings? What do you think about Columbia falling to like from number two to number 18 in the last ranking? And, you know, a lot of the students were pretty sophisticated and they're thinking about it. Um, they talked about like the things that makes Columbia great and a good fit for me are not affected by the numbers dropping. Um Maybe with the lower rank, students will actually look at those qualities rather than at the rank. And I was like, wow, I mean, like, these students get it. They're fine. They're doing fine. (laughs) They understand the limitations of the rankings, um, which is great. It's wonderful to see.
0: Francie Deep, thank you so much for being here today and helping us better understand the world of college and university rankings and what they mean. I'm Dr. Christina Gessler and you've been listening to The Academic Life on New Books Network. I hope you will please join us again.